Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, my self-lovers. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure that you're giving yourself the gift of self-love. Now, if you don't know what the gift of self-love is, it's a workbook that will help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. And it's now available in stores and online worldwide. Oh my goodness, I've been waiting to say that because I've been working on this book for years. I poured my heart and soul into it, compiling everything that I teach at my retreats and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable, and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is this book is a combination of me sharing my life story and everything that's helped me on this self-love journey, including body acceptance, and it's a workbook that you can actually write in. So every single thing that I share, you can put into practice right away. There are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body image, confidence, self-worth, and self-love. I'm holding it right here. It's right in front of me and it's absolutely gorgeous. Not to toot my own horn or anything, but we've nailed the design on this one. It makes such a wonderful gift both for yourself and for your loved ones. Perhaps you have a friend that could really use this message and that, you know, needs a little push, loving push in the right direction. And I think that this book is just a great gift. Hence, the gift of self-love. So if you haven't gotten it yet, you can get it today by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book. I'm certain that the tools I share in this book will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So again, that's maryscupoftea.com slash book and give yourself the gift of self-love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Today, I am going to address a question that I get very, very often from concerned friends and parents and caretakers and siblings and so many people who have somebody that they know that is, you know, showing some warning signs of having an eating disorder or at least some kind of disordered eating. So today we're going to talk about how to support someone with an eating disorder, and I'm going to talk about warning signs, what to say, and how to help. So a quick disclaimer that I am not a medical professional, and what I'm sharing is based on solely personal experience and a little bit of my research. So I highly recommend anyone with signs of an eating disorder to seek professional help, and I'm going to put the link in the show notes to the National Eating Disorder Awareness Hotline. That hotline, if you call it, you can also chat it just like through your computer or phone, somebody there will be able to talk you through it and hopefully point you to the right resources. Again, I just want to like take away the stigma from calling a hotline because I used to call hotlines when I was a teenager all the time. I mean, maybe not all the time, but there were definitely times when I was desperate to talk to somebody and I didn't really want to talk to, you know, a family member or a friend because I just felt like, I don't know if it was something very personal or something that I wasn't ready for people to know about yet. I have literally called hotlines. Um, I've even called a hotline because I've had a suicidal friend. So I called the suicide hotline to, you know, talk about how I can support my friend through 
what she's going through. So whether you are going through an eating disorder or you know somebody who is showing symptoms or signs, call the hotline. It's literally no big deal. The people there make you feel so, so comfortable. They've been through it. They know what to say. I know that sometimes it's also easier to talk to strangers than it is even your close and loved ones. Um, So call the hotline. Seriously, it might be like a really, really great on-call resource for you. So on that note, let's get into some warning signs of an eating disorder. And I want to make sure that I address, you know, not just the stereotypical stuff like if somebody's not eating, they have an eating disorder. I mean, clearly you're not stupid. You know that. Um, But I want to do like a combination of some warning signs that I found from a website called Center for Change. Um, And they talk about like some of the basic signs of general eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating. And then I also want to get into my experience sharing, you know, the things that I used to do that I wish somebody else would have noticed. And so hopefully, especially if you're a concerned friend or a caretaker, hopefully some of my experiences will also just help you see, you know, some of the things that you may have missed otherwise. So in general, obviously a big red flag is if somebody is weird around food, they're resisting discussions about food, body image or weight, um, they're isolating themselves from friends and family, they have you know mood changes that are quite inconsistent and abnormal, um, noticeable perhaps concerning changes in weight, uh, generally if they're like very drastic changes. But I also want to do my own little caveat here that somebody, I want you to look at these symptoms, not how somebody is looking like. Okay. So I want you to always like, if you're actually concerned about somebody, please, please, please do not make the mistake of being like, oh, well, they look healthy. So they're fine. Or, oh, they're, you know, God forbid there's some, you know, weight stigma and fat phobic kind of judgments coming. But what a lot of people do and say is like, oh, that person is heavier. So there's no way they can have an eating disorder. That is a lie. Lie, 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 lie. (laughs) People of all shapes and sizes have eating disorders. And I would even argue that not that you can compare this type of pain, but in certain objective ways, A lot of fat people, I use fat very neutrally here, a lot of people in bigger bodies, fat people actually have eating disorders that are very severe and last much longer than they should because people, including doctors and medical professionals, brush off their symptoms and and they literally will prescribe disordered eating and an eating disorder just because somebody is at a higher weight and clearly that's not what we're about. So if you're interested in more about you know how to approach conversations around health if your child or somebody you know is in a bigger body, like first of all, unless you're their legal guardian, it's probably none of your business. But if they do come to you and ask, you can direct them to something called Health at Every Size. I think the website is hayescommunity.com and that will teach you more about how to like balance health with self-love and not have that whole weight-based approach. Because again, we do not want to be prescribing an eating disorder to somebody who A, may already have one and 
B, it's just really fucked up that if a thinner person has certain signs and symptoms, then we're like, oh, they're sick and they're unhealthy. And if a bigger person has the same exact harmful, deadly signs and symptoms, then we're like, oh, they need to do that because they're at a heavier weight. That is really, really, really bad. Um, And I, I hate when people do that. And I especially hate when medical professionals aren't educated on this. So anyways, that's my little aside on please don't just look at their weight or their body, okay? Um, Other signs and symptoms of an eating disorder is if they say things like, I'm afraid of gaining weight or I'm scared of becoming quote-unquote fat. And if they, you know, exhibit that kind of fear, if they're maybe wearing loose clothing or lots of layers, uh, sometimes that's a sign that people are trying to like hide their bodies and they're feeling ashamed about them. And if they have a family history of eating disorders, again, this is something that I wish a doctor would have asked me because I do have a family history of eating disorders. And clearly there's such a direct link, especially on the maternal side. So that is also something to look at and consider, like how are their moms, aunts, grandmas, how are they around food, you know? And that will kind of tell you what kind of messages that person internalized. So some more specific ones Hopefully, you know by now that there's a big trigger warning on these. So if you're actively in recovery from an eating disorder, maybe don't listen to this episode and instead send it to a friend Um, because obviously we're discussing some things that are very direct linked to habits of somebody struggling with an eating disorder. So let me get through these. Anorexia. Again, if they're like really concerned about their body, you see them skipping meals, they're avoiding certain categories of food entirely, like especially carbs or fats. If they're consumed with counting calories or weighing out food portions, or this is also a big one, using prescription or illegal drugs to aid in weight loss. And I will also add in laxatives or enemas things like that. Lastly, if they lose their period, so a loss of menstruation. For bulimia, the signs, again, these all kind of bleed into one another. So, you know, they're not very strictly divided, but for bulimia, some some more specific signs of that eating disorder is if you catch somebody going to the bathroom immediately after they ate, um, some something that's a big red flag is if they like turn on the water or the shower um, because chances are they're trying to cover up the sounds of vomiting. If they are chewing gum a lot, (laughs) uh, this is one that I'm adding in myself because I used to chew gum a lot to prevent me from eating. Same thing with like coffee, gum, uh, lots of zero calorie drinks, like 24 seven to kind of suppress my hunger. One thing that this website wrote is also compulsive use of breath fresheners. So i.e. if somebody's purging, then likely they're going to try to cover up the breath from the vomit. And again, laxative abuse, enema abuse, and followed by extreme exercise or fasting. I also, again, am adding in my own note that if somebody is struggling with bulimia, they don't necessarily have to be making themselves throw up. Bulimia is any kind of binging and purging. So anytime, especially the purging part for bulimia, anytime you're trying to like out exercise what you ate the night before or laxatives is a type of purging or 
vomiting is included in that, but that's not the only symptom. Again, I feel like this is such a common misconception. And even when I'm on podcast interviews, like people are like, you know, when did you start making yourself throw up? And I'm like, well, that's not necessarily what I did. And that's not necessarily all that I did. Um, So just keep that in mind as well, that eating disorders are very individualistic. And that's what makes them really scary is they all come with their own signs and symptoms and habits based on the person. And if somebody is struggling with binge eating, they are probably going to be eating a lot at certain times, like a lot, a lot, a lot, and then not eating much other times. So again, I think a lot of bulimia and binge eating often go hand in hand and together. Um, So if you see like unusual amounts of food go missing, or if you see like hidden food or evidences of like food like wrappers or something um, in somebody's, I don't know, bedroom or stashed away or, you know, I used to like, for example, dig up wrappers in the trash or I mean, I would like put them in the trash, but then I would like cover stuff over them to make sure that nobody saw. And then another sign is if you see somebody that eats more in private than they do in public. So Again, if everybody's going out to eat and there's one person that's like, oh no, I had a big lunch, I would not take that lightly. Of course, sometimes that is the case that somebody just is not hungry or they don't want to eat or whatever, like that's fine. But if this is happening repeatedly, then I would talk to them. Um, And we'll get into exactly how to bring it up and what you can do and say and also what not to say. But before we get into that, I also want to highlight a couple of things based on my personal experience. One is that eating disorders thrive in secrecy and therefore shame. So again, we're really, really good at hiding the things that we do. So look out for the things that are more hidden. I think, again, a lot of people assume that if you have an eating disorder, then you're really underweight, then you're going to notice, then you'll hear somebody throwing up and I don't know, you'll see them skipping meals, but that's not always the case. Like we're usually really, really good at manipulating and hiding and keeping everything a secret. So um, I think that's really important to keep in mind. Some other things that I want to add to the like signs and symptom list is if you see somebody that's kind of like sitting at the dinner table or whatever, and almost like scrutinizing or looking at everyone else's plates, I think that's a sign that they're comparing how much they're eating to how much somebody else is eating. And I think if there's like that weird awkwardness where (laughs) it seems like, I don't know, your plate is being looked at or, you know, just, just this weirdness around food, then I mean, at least that's something that I did and I've noticed in others as well. And if somebody is like obsessively regimented, like for example, say they have a workout routine and that workout routine is like something they're just so crazy dedicated to, like it doesn't matter if you invite them out or to a birthday party or something's going on, like they will always choose the gym over any kind of social interaction, um, or if they're really regimented and like 
their food and their portion sizes and if they're weighing and measuring and calculating and if they're always looking and choosing food based on what the lowest calorie thing is on the menu. Because unfortunately, so many menus these days, (laughs) I don't know why, so many menus are showing like calorie counts. Um, So if you kind of notice that ironically, what they chose to order off the menu and what is the lowest calorie meal is the same thing, then I would also take that as a sign. And on top of that, I think people who struggle with an eating disorder are very perfectionistic and extreme about things. Like they're very black and white. Um, and that causes like some extreme behaviors. So for example, if you notice that somebody's grades are like perfect or they're really obsessed with getting perfect grades and they're just like really hard on themselves about it, then for me, that's kind of like the personality type that I've experienced associated with somebody who struggles with an eating disorder as well. And then on the flip side, if it gets really, really bad, sometimes their grades or their performance is like really bad. Like there's nothing in between. You know, um, I think people with eating disorders strive for this sense of perfection. And when they can't attain it, they're like, fuck it. And they burn it all down. So if you see somebody like, I don't know, getting really obsessive studying before a test and trying to get the best grade possible. And then for whatever reason, they don't get 100% or they don't get an A. And then the next week you see them like, I don't know, being very nonchalant and I don't give a fuck about school, that kind of attitude. I think that that's kind of just the personality to look out for is if somebody's like really extreme or black and white, they're really hard on themselves. They just prioritize being perfect above learning and growing and trying and self-compassion and being a kid and cutting themselves some slack. You know, I think especially when it comes to like preteens and teens, that's something to look out for. So those are some of the warning signs of an eating disorder. And now let's get into how to talk to them, how to bring it up, what to do, what not to do, and how you can actually support them in either getting help or going through their recovery. So obviously, you're probably going to have to bring it up, especially if you're close to this person. I think that talking to them is kind of the only way. And again, you don't have to feel obligated to. And if you think that this is not something you want to do and you're not comfortable with it, or maybe you're not close enough to kind of have that vulnerable conversation, then maybe talk to their caregiver or someone else close to them and maybe they can bring it up. So don't feel obligated, but I'm assuming that you're listening to this episode right now because you care about this person and you do want to bring it up to them. Um, By the way, I'm so sorry if you're (laughs) hearing my voice. That's all weird. I just had this like milk chocolate hazelnut bar and the hazelnut got stuck in my throat and it's still there. So (laughs) I've been trying to clear my throat to get it out, but it's not budging. So we're just recording this with a nut stuck in my throat. Uh, That sounded really weird, but (laughs) that is the reality. So I apologize for my voice voice being strange. Um, But anyways, here's how I would bring it up. Use I statements. So like we always talk about in communication, it's really important that you 
present from your experience without blaming or shaming or pointing fingers or being like, you look like this and you're doing that and you shouldn't be doing this. You know, um, that is very harsh. And obviously somebody that hears that is going to get defensive and they're not going to be receptive to talking. So instead, make sure that you're using I statements. And here's how I would approach it. First, make sure that they're, you know, in the headspace to talk and you feel safe and comfortable and everybody's kind of on the same page. And then I would say something like, hey, I've noticed that and fill in the blank with what you notice. Like I've noticed that you haven't been eating as much or I noticed that there's, you know, this awkwardness at the dinner table or whatever you noticed. And then say, it got me a little worried because, and then fill in the blank why you're worried. I would be really, really honest. If you've had similar struggles, I would say it got me a little worried because I've went through something similar. And, you know, when I was doing things like I'm noticing you're doing, I remember really struggling with body image and disordered eating. Um, Or you can say it got me a little worried because (laughs) there's this girl I follow on Instagram and she talks openly about her eating disorder. And, um, you know, she did a podcast episode talking about the signs and symptoms of an eating disorder. And I just wanted to bring it up to you because I'm worried. Be honest. Make sure you're using these I statements and you're explaining honestly and authentically where you're coming from. And obviously, this is a conversation. So leave room for them to respond. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Like, it got me a little worried because of this. And I'm just wondering if you're okay, question mark. And wait for them to answer. The only way you're going to get somebody to open up is if you actually listen and give them time to respond. (laughs) Boyfriend always calls me out on this because he's like, sometimes you'll just ask a question and he's the kind of person that needs a little bit more time to process. And he likes to think about what he says before he says it. Whereas I kind of just blurt things out. And I think as I speak, so again, people talk differently. They process things differently. They answer questions differently. So just leave a little room and space and you'd honestly be surprised at (laughs) what some silence could actually bring to a conversation. It can really open up a lot. And then I would make sure to leave off with a statement like this. And if you watched my TED Talk, you know that this is the text I got from my mom when um, I had this tantrum because my eating disorder was just getting in the way of my life. And I tell this whole story about how my mom ordered me a mocha and then I freaked out on her and I drove away like screaming and crying and it was a disaster and I felt awful about myself. And then I got a text from my mom that said, I love you very much and I am here for you anytime you need me. And I think that's the best thing that anybody has ever said to me in recovery, truly, just letting them know that you're there for them, that you love them and that you are available if they want to talk. And I think that's the biggest gift, the biggest support that you can give somebody is just letting them know how loved they are and how supported they are and that they're not going through this alone, okay? 
So that's how I would bring up the conversation. And don't be afraid to have this conversation more than once. This is not just like a one and done, check it off the list. You know, somebody that is truly struggling with an eating disorder is probably going to tell you what you want to hear. And then you're going to be like, oh, yeah, they're fine. I talked to them like everything's good. But the truth is like you're just probably trying to convince yourself of that because it's probably uncomfortable and scary and unknown. And I totally understand that. And especially if you are a caregiver, I invite you to keep bringing up this conversation and keep letting them know again that you're here for them, that you care, that you you are just there for them anytime they need to talk or anytime they're ready to open up. So now let's get into some things to do and not to do. So I have a solid five-ish, six things that can really, really support somebody who is going through this. So firstly, I want to highlight the difference between help and support, okay? Helping somebody is great, but supporting them is even better. Helping somebody is almost doing it with this energy of you're trying to fix their problems. Whereas supporting somebody is letting them grow through this and you're just there by their side. You're just there holding their hand. You're just there as a support. You're not there to fix them because they're not broken. It's not your job to fix anyone. And remember that you can't help anybody who doesn't want to be helped. So it's important to make this distinction for yourself and create that boundary for yourself and release the pressure to do everything right. You have to accept that this is a very complicated and nuanced mental health condition and it requires a professional who spent like a decade learning how to handle this. You know, this is not an easy task. So again, I just want to prepare you for this, especially if you're a friend, a loved one, a partner, a caregiver, a parent, like as much as we want to help, remember that you don't have the power to cure anyone from anything and make sure that you're also taking care of yourself. Like set effective boundaries and make sure that you're in the right headspace before you open up this conversation, okay? Um, Because your mental health is so, so important. And the only way that you're going to be able to support somebody is if you fill your self-love cup, your cup of tea, all the way. And once you fill your own cup all the way, then you can start letting it overflow to others. But do not Try to help somebody at the expense of yourself. Make sure that you're taking care of you first because that's also going to set an example for the other person. Self-sacrifice and martyrdom and kind of being this, I don't know, this, this person who just does everything for everyone at the expense of themselves, that doesn't help anybody. So instead, I want you to focus on supporting supporting energy, supportive conversations, and just being a support system, okay? Secondly, now let's get into some things not to do. Avoid all body talk and all numbers. If you've already determined that this person is struggling, please, please, please do not compliment them on their weight gain nor their weight loss. Again, this is something that people miss because In our heads, we have a certain image of what recovery needs to look like or what a healthy body looks like. And trust me when I say this, like 
a brain that is struggling with an eating disorder is going to twist and manipulate and just, ugh, it's just going to mess up everything. And that's just going to fuel the eating disorder. Any type of body talk is going to fuel the eating disorder. So please don't tell somebody that they look healthy because our brains, well, when a brain is struggling with an eating disorder, we misinterpret that. And we take that to mean, oh, that means I look fat. Like, seriously, people have told me this. And that's instantly what my brain would go to is like, oh my God, does that mean I gained weight? And it would just send me in a spiral. And also don't make comments about your own body in front of them. No talk about weight or size or anything to do with numbers, including calories, minutes, miles you ran, kilometers, carbs, none of that. Nothing that has a number attached to it. Please just leave numbers out of the picture. And keep in mind that this is not you tiptoeing around somebody else. This is actually something that is really, really great to practice for you. There's no reason that we need to comment on other people's bodies. There's no reason for us to compare or to weigh ourselves or to track calories or minutes or miles or carbs. Like all of this that you're doing for somebody else, you're also ultimately helping yourself. So it's kind of this like give and take situation where these are some of the things that you could probably be doing for your own self-love journey. And they're only going to help that person who is struggling even more so. Like you're literally leading by example. And I think that's the most important thing to remember. And when it comes to eating, please don't be weird. (laughs) You don't have to scrutinize what we're eating or how we're eating it. I remember when I opened up to my mom, like it felt like she was always staring at me at the dinner table and just always on edge. You don't have to do that truly, or at least don't be obvious about it. I personally like when my friends and family are just more upfront with me and they just address the elephant in the room. Like, um, my best friend was like, Hey, look, my husband and I were talking and, We've noticed that you've lost a little bit of weight recently. We just wanted to confirm that you're okay and that it wasn't intentional and that you're not slipping back. And of course, that was an awkward conversation. (laughs) You know, it wasn't like I was really excited to talk about my weight loss, which was unintentional, but it definitely felt weird to think about somebody else noticing But on the flip side, I was so, so grateful for that. I was so grateful that she was just upfront and honest and just address the elephant in the room so that I could clarify like, no, I'm actually doing really, really good right now. Like my body may have, may have changed recently, but that's, you know, only because I've been in recovery for like five years now. So I feel like my body's just finding its natural place to be and, you don't have anything to worry about. I'm good. Right. Or I could have said, Hey, I'm so glad you brought that up. I've been struggling for a while and I'm, you know, really glad that you addressed that because now I feel safe to open up more about it. So again, you don't have to tiptoe around us. Like we're not fragile. We're not going to break apart. You don't have to watch us or scrutinize. I think most people who are struggling with anything, almost appreciate this balance of let's act like everything's normal. And if there's something shady going on, 
I'm going to bring it up to you, especially if I'm somebody that's close to you and somebody that you trust, you know? So again, ditch the awkwardness. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, just be more upfront. And last couple things that are really supportive to anybody struggling with mental health is if you prioritize simply listening, just listen, just like I said, silence could could actually open up a really important conversation if you just let a little bit of silence linger in the air, you know, maybe ask a question and actually wait for them to respond. And when they're done talking, don't chime in right away. Give it a minute, maybe pause or act like you're thinking, (laughs) you know, because you'll be surprised what somebody else will start opening up about when they feel that space to do so, that safe space. I do this with my sister a lot, actually. Like if I ask her, hey, how was school? Usually she's like, good. And then I'm like, you're going to have to tell me a little bit more than that. What was your high and low from today? And she'll be like, my high was this and my low was that. And I just wait a couple seconds to just say anything at all. And then she starts telling me more about her day. (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing what people will share when they just have a safe space to do so. So just listen and remember that you're not their therapist. So don't feel pressured to give advice or give the right advice. Like, honestly, even therapists aren't allowed to give advice. At least my therapist always says that. Like, Mary, I can't tell you what to do. I can only ask you questions to lead to a place that feels right to you. So remember that you're not a therapist, so you don't need to be doing this perfectly, but just refrain from giving advice or trying to fix them. Just listen and just offer that emotional support. That's truly the best thing that you can do for somebody. And lastly, literally ask, how can I support you? This is something that I've been kind of trained. You know that I've done a lot of life coaching and leadership trainings, and I'm certified in neuro-linguistic practicing, which is a whole nother thing we can get into. But long story short, I've done a lot of like self-help courses and trainings. Um, and so this is something that I've just kind of trained myself to ask people is, how can I support you? Question mark. And wait for the response. But you'd be surprised how many of my friends get so taken back by me when I ask that. Like, they're like, whoa, nobody's ever asked me that. Even my partner didn't ask me that. I will have to think about that. I don't even know how to answer that because most people just, they're not used to being supported and they're not used to asking for support. So open up that space for them. Just ask, how can I support you? And chances are they're probably going to say something simple like, just be there for me, or I'd love to talk more or whatever. Like maybe they do want to hang out more or talk on the phone, or maybe they want you to send them some reminders to eat, or they like it when you send them inspirational or encouraging or funny Instagram posts or TikToks throughout the day, just to like make their day better. Like whatever it is, don't be afraid to just ask them. And sometimes simply the act of asking, how can I support you? Just that alone, like just the fact that you asked can make somebody feel so safe, seen, and supported. I hope that whether you have somebody that's going through a mental health condition of any kind or not, like where whatever the situation is, I hope you just get in the habit of asking people, 
How can I support you? And I also hope you get in the habit of asking yourself that too, because this is also a question that we don't ask ourselves enough. So I hope these tips helped you. I hope that they give you a little bit of insight into warning signs and just like the behind the scenes of a disordered, like an eating disorder brain or a brain that's influenced by an eating disorder. And if you're a minor or a caretaker of a minor, I hope that this also encourages you to reach out for help. You cannot do this alone. You should not do this alone. And even if you can't afford like treatment or stereotypical therapy, there's some low cost counseling options out there available like BetterHelp. That's the online therapy platform that I've been using for over a year and I love it. They have licensed professional counselors. They have a lot of people who specialize in different things and they actually have you fill out a questionnaire where you, you know, you fill out the questionnaire, like what you're looking for, what kind of support you need, if you want somebody to specialize in something, if you prefer a counselor of a certain gender or a certain background or ethnicity, like whatever that is, you fill all this out in the questionnaire and then you get matched to a licensed counselor or therapist in your state. So they're licensed and everything. Um, and it turns out to be a lot more cost effective. Full disclosure, I am an affiliate of BetterHelp because I've been using their platform for over a year, working with my therapist, and I wanted there to be a way for my followers to get mental health support without breaking the bank. So I think BetterHelp is a great way to do that. If you're interested in trying it out, I have a link that will give you two weeks of free therapy. So it'll give you time to fill out that questionnaire, get matched with a counselor, maybe do a session or two just to see how you like it. Um, and that link is betterhelp.com M-C-O-T, which stands for Mary's Cup of Tea. I'll also put it in the show notes. So that's available for you as a resource. Again, this is for anybody. I mean, if you want counseling or therapy in general, feel free to use that. And if you or somebody you know is struggling and you want to direct them to a resource, you can direct them there as well. And I also encourage young people and caregivers of young people to not underestimate the power of a school counselor. <laughs> I think a lot of the times there's this stigma about going to see the school counselor and there shouldn't be, but that is a resource that is available to hopefully all children who are in school. And I think that those counselors are just really, really amazing. I've certainly had some amazing ones when I was growing up, you know, middle school, high school, and I always encourage my sister to go see a counselor if she ever wants to. So that resource is there for you. And sometimes, especially for kids, I think it's easier opening up to a stranger than a close one. I think there's this, you know, kind of reassurance that the stranger doesn't know as much about you and they're not going to judge you. And as a counselor, like they're supposed to follow kind of confidentiality unless the person is trying to harm themselves or others. So you can talk to them about so many things and never have that trust broken because that's what they're there for. So I would encourage, like if you have children or siblings or you're a teacher or caregiver, I would encourage a lot of people to take advantage of the school counselor. And then from there, they could probably advise, like, does this person need some sort of professional therapy or treatment or whatever those next steps are? So 
Anyways, there's a lot of resources out there for you. Remember, there's also the National Eating Disorder Awareness Hotline, which again, will direct you to so many, many resources, so many things that I wish I knew were available to me when I was in the depths of my eating disorder and going through recovery. So I'm passing these on to you and I hope this episode helped. I hope it was informative. I know that some of these things are difficult to talk about and are probably heavy and uncomfortable and I get it. I've been through it, you know, but I hope this helps to normalize the experience a little bit more and encourage people to seek help, open up these conversations and just be a little bit more proactive and involved if you do see somebody that you love exhibiting signs of an eating disorder. So I hope this supports you and supporting somebody else. And I will talk to you in the next podcast episode. Bye everyone. One last thing before we farewell. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, we would greatly appreciate if you could leave a short review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Your feedback helps the show so, so much. I absolutely love hearing from you. And as somebody whose love language is words of affirmation, your words mean the world to me. Just go to the Apple Podcasts app and scroll all the way down until you see the review section. And from there, you can just tap the star thing and leave your own review. Thank you so much for supporting me and this greater message of self-love for all. Also, feel free to send this episode to a friend and spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, make sure you pick up my book, which is available in stores and online worldwide. Just head to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and you'll find all the links to give yourself the gift of self-love. I love you all so, so much, and I will talk to you next time. Mwah.